All right, let's start with a little review. We're wrapping up a series today on how God has shaped you for significance. We've been going through this for the last several weeks. And the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, this isn't in your study notes, but he says there are different kinds of service to God, but it's the same Lord that we're serving. The Holy Spirit displays God's power through each of us as a means of helping the entire church. So what God wants you to do is to build up his body. If you think about it, you're a Never thought of yourself as a bodybuilder. You know, you're a spiritual bodybuilder. And why should you be interested in this? Why do you even need to know about this? Well, we tried to lay that groundwork in the beginning of our series. First of all, you have been saved for ministry. In 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul says, It is He who saved us and chose us for His holy work, not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began. I don't have these verses in your study notes, by the way. These ones I put up on the screen. So, the Bible teaches that every Christian is called to serve. And uh, so I think a non-serving Christian is a contradiction. But the other thing is, you've been called to ministry. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, You've been chosen by God himself. You are priest of the king. You are God's very own. All this so that you may show to others how God called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were less than nothing, and now you are God's own. And if you've ever had a hard time with self-esteem, circle that verse. <laughs> you know, you're called to ministry. Grandma Dixie says, I'm not who you think I am, and I'm not who I think I am. But I am who God says that I am. And God says that your primary identification is not that you're a man or a woman, or that you're a husband or a son or a daughter or a mother or a wife. God says, my primary identity is that I'm a minister of Jesus Christ. And if you let that sink in... I think it will flat out, flat out change your perspective on everything that you do. I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who others say that I am. But I am who God says that I am. I'm a minister of Jesus Christ. And I think we could stop right here and just go home, which some of you would say, that's a great idea. Because I think that's one of the most profound truths that you could ever get. When you became a believer in Christ, you became a minister. It's clearly taught in Scripture. I was called, I was created, I was saved to minister. Last summer when I was back in Michigan visiting some of the friends that, that uh, we knew when we lived there, one guy said to me, how many ministers do you have at Water's Edge? And I said, about 100, 125. Now, I know what he meant. See, there's a difference between a minister and a pastor. If someone says, how many pastors do you have? Well, that's one thing. But if somebody says, how many ministers do you have? That's a totally different thing. And so the Bible teaches that all of us are ministers. Someday when we get our own official letterheads and stuff like that, we'll put Bill Crawford pastor and then we'll list all your names as the ministers of the church, you know. Okay. Now, you've been gifted for ministry. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other, passing on to others God's many kinds of blessings. And that's what we've been talking about these last couple of weeks, that you have a shape. Your S is for your spiritual gift, your H is for your heart or your passion, your A is for your abilities, your P is for your personality, and your E is for your experiences. You're shaped with many different things. We'll talk more about that as we wrap up today. But another thing is you've been authorized for ministry. Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, You are ambassadors of Christ. Therefore, he says, you're Christ ambassadors. 
So, you know what an ambassador is? It's somebody who represents the interest of one country in another country. You might have followed last week that Caroline Kennedy was just installed as our United States ambassador to Japan. She represents the interest of the United States in that country. And when the Bible says that you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ, what it means is is that you represent the interest of the kingdom of God here in this place, on this earth. And so uh, you say, you know, somebody says, well, who do you think you are? Well, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. It's not because I deserve it. I don't. I don't even deserve to be a Christian. It's by God's grace. And not only have you been authorized to be a minister to other people, you've been commanded to minister. Listen to what Jesus said. Your attitude must be like my own, for I did not come to be served but to serve. And Jesus said it's not an option. I think a non-ministering Christian is not obeying God. The secret of a fulfilled life is to find your ministry that God has created you for. And you're going to find fulfillment more than in any other area of your life when you're doing what God made you to be. A couple weeks ago in my Friday briefing, I said that in architecture, there's an expression that goes like this. Form follows function. So someday if we go to get our own facility, the architect is going to say, what do you want to do in that building? And so we'll describe what we want to do, and then he will design a building. Form follows function to meet the needs that we have. But with human beings, it's completely the opposite. Function follows form. And however God has created you, however he shaped you, that determines what you do. And one of the ways of discovering God's will and his purpose for you is to discover how he shaped you, and then you'll know what he wants you to do. So, not only that, you're to be prepared for ministry. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 4:11 and 12, God gave pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. And I have to tell you, this verse really scares me because the Bible teaches very clearly that I'm going to be evaluated as pastor in terms of how well I prepared you. And here's why the body of Christ needs your ministry. 1 Corinthians 12.27 says, All of you together are the one body of Christ, and each of you is a separate and necessary part of it. You know, what if your liver said one day, I don't want to serve this year, I need some time off. You know, I don't know if you ever heard the liver just say, I just want to be fed. You know, Well, you see, I'm sorry, dear liver, but because you're a part of the body, we can't get along without you. And so the liver, if it doesn't do its part, the whole body suffers. And many people, I think, are in a what I would call a church hopper and shopper mode, and they think that the church exists for them. But no, the church exists for the world. And the body of Christ needs your ministry. Now, maybe you've never thought about this before, but you'll be accountable for ministry as well. Romans 14.12 says this, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, there are many, many parables in the New Testament, like the parable of the talents. I think you've heard that. God talks about a man who was given one talent, another one was given five talents, another guy was given ten talents. And years later, he says, what did you do with it? And the one who hadn't done anything with it, he said, you are a wicked and lazy servant. If God has given you a talent, if he's given you a gift, if he's shaped you, he wants you to use it. One day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account of my talents and the gifts and the abilities that God has given to me. And so are you. 
And that's why that we're looking at the spiritual gifts uh, and this whole shape thing in this series, because I want you to pass the final exam. Yeah. One day God's going to say, what would you do with what you're given? So you're accountable. Now, God could have left it that, but he, but he doesn't leave it on a negative note, because you're going to be rewarded for your ministry. Hey, Doug and Katie. <laughs> uh, I'll hear about that later. Uh, I play golf with Doug. I'll have to give him strokes for that one. <laughs> so, uh, uh, newlyweds, that's what it is. <laughs> But God doesn't leave it on a, on a negative note. And by the way, that's one of the beauties about when we have the, the, the stage over there is that people can walk in and not be seen, you know. Uh, but, uh, but you'll be rewarded from this. Listen to what Colossians 3 says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you serve. And then in Matthew... We've all all heard this phrase before in some context, you know, well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in the Master's happiness. So the Bible teaches clearly that you were created for ministry. You've been saved for ministry. You've been called for ministry. You've been authorized to be a minister. You're commanded to minister. You've been gifted for ministry. You're supposed to be prepared for ministry. The body of Christ needs your ministry. You'll be accountable for your ministry, and you're going to be rewarded for your ministry. Now, do you see why this is so important? So with that in mind, let's pick up where we left off in defining spiritual gifts. And I know that many of you weren't here two weeks ago when we started this, uh, looked at about a dozen of the, of the gifts two weeks ago. I hope you'll listen online because some of the things that are, that are foundational to even the spiritual gifts, understanding uh, why we have them, who gets them, how, how they're manifest, all those things, I laid there and I don't have time to relay that today. And by the way, if you're looking at your study notes, don't worry. The insert inside of your study notes is, I'm not going over that stuff today. That's going to be homework for you today. So you can take a deep breath and, and uh, say, whew. Uh, so anyway, remember this as we lead off to this, uh, this checklist here is supposed to be a, your initial impression concerning yourself. We're just saying here's the area you might want to look for your spiritual gifts, but the best way to discover them is to start getting involved in different areas of ministry. And you'll either go, ah, I hate that, or you'll go, man, I'm real, this, I'm really cooking here. And so, so that's the best way. This will just maybe give you a framework of where to look for your spiritual gift. Remember, you can have more than one gift. I've read over 20 books on spiritual gifts, and I found that not one book agreed with another about how many gifts there were, about how the gifts were classified. And uh, what that says to me is it's not an exhaustive list. There are many gifts in Scripture. Some of them are just in one sentence. Others of them are listed in groups. So what I've done is I've listed a couple weeks ago and then today again some that I think are appropriate, have been appropriated in the churches that I've served. I think we went over wisdom. Uh, I think we went over knowledge. Uh, and uh, I think we went over mercy last time we were together. So uh, let's... How do you like that? We're starting with giving. Aren't you glad we already had the offering so then you don't feel any guilt? But listen, there's a difference between giving 
and the spiritual gift of giving. This spiritual gift of giving is the ability to generously contribute material resources beyond the 10% tithe so that the body of Christ might grow and be strengthened. It's the ability to earn and manage money so that it may be given to support the ministries of others. Now, these are people who just love to give, but they also tend to have an incredible ability to make money. Typically, people with this gift are the happiest people around. And often they're successful in business, and it just... It just turns out everything they touch tends to turn to gold. They make a lot of money, but they give a lot of money. And God has given them an ability to make large amounts to donate to the kingdom of God. I think a great example of this is R.J. Letourneau. If you've ever seen those giant earth movers that, you know, just they pull up, you know, scoop up a lot of dirt. He was the guy that created that, that, those uh, earth movers. He started out giving uh, 10% of his income, living on 90, and as God blessed him, then he gave 20%, and he lived on 80, and towards the end of his life, he gave 80 or 90% of what he's living, and he lived on 10%, and he was still a multimillionaire. He is the guy who was made famous for this phrase, you can't outgive God. And some of you have this gift. You just don't have the financial situation right now to, to do it. But in your heart, you love to give large sums of money to, uh, to God's work. My former church, uh, we had a gentleman who had this gift and gave huge lead gifts to different, when we bought our property, he, he gave an overwhelming gift, and then when we built our building, he gave an overwhelming gift as a way of launching us off, and it was like, can I do more? But one of the things that I've, I've, I've noticed in my dealing over the, my years of ministry with people who have this spiritual gift is sometimes I just have to remind you, you're not crazy. You're not crazy when you invest in the kingdom of God. All right, leadership. This is the ability to clarify, clarify and communicate the purpose and direction or the vision of a ministry in a way that attracts others to be involved. It's to motivate others by example and to work together in accomplishing ministry goals. I'll tell you what the real test of leadership is. Is anybody following? I think many of you have served on, on committees or on boards and the chairman of the board sitting down here and an issue comes up and nobody looks this way. They all look at this guy over here because they know he's the leader even though he has the title. And so leadership is, is anybody following? And if you've got this gift, people will naturally gravitate towards you. And people with this gift are usually goal-oriented. Management works on short-term. Leadership works on long-term. Management works on controlling things. Leadership works on changing things. You could summarize leadership in one word, influence. Leadership is influence. And it's the ability to influence and to clarify and to communicate the purposes of the church. Some of you have a leadership gift in seed form. And some of you have already are ready to assume leadership right now. Some of you, because of our negligence, have not put you in leadership positions. And so you're using your leadership outside the church. And one of the things that uh, I think about this gift more than any others, as we help you identify your gift and as you come forward and, and help us understand your gifts, you know, we say, I have the gift of teaching, great teach. I have the gift of giving, great give. I have the gift of mercy, great show mercy. I have the gift of hospitality, great open your house and have hospitality. I have the gift of leadership, let's vote on it. <laughs> you know, we don't want to vote on spiritual gifts. If God has gifted you, then lead to the limit of your vision. And so we, as we identify these gifts in you, and I'll explain how we hope to do that in, in the weeks ahead, uh, I hope we can take several of you with a leadership gift and get you more involved in leadership. And by the way, I think that's one of the main reasons why a lot of people 
they don't get the opportunity to use their leadership gift in the church, and so they use it outside in the marketplace. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but we'd like you to use it here too. All right, administration. This is the ability to manage the work of God so that it makes efficient use of God's resources. The ability to organize and manage people, resources, and time for effective ministry. It's the ability to coordinate many details and to execute the plans of leadership. The Greek word, by the way, for this word administration is to steer the ship or steer a ship. It's somebody who guides. It's like the pilot. Administration is the gift of management, whereas leadership is the gift of influencing. We all know good leaders who are terrible managers, right? And we also know good administrators who aren't very good leaders. And so how do you know if you've got this gift? One of the ways is you have the ability to balance several balls at the same time. You're always looking for more efficient ways. Typically, people who have this gift tend to delegate. They know how to get other people involved, and they tend to like to work on the details without losing the big picture. If you don't have this gift, then when you get into the details, you're going to forget the big picture. And I've been on many pe- people who thought they had the gift of administration, and so they got so so administratively oriented, the dust on their desk was organized, but they failed to realize the reason we were doing all this was to reach people. They failed to see the big picture. And so if you get frustrated with disorganization, if you like learning about management issues and how organizations function effectively, if you are generally careful and thorough in handling details, this may be a good place for you to start looking for your gift. So evaluate yourself on that one. All right, intercession. Listen, some people have intercession uh, in their gift list. Other people don't. Uh, I, I was tentative about uh, taking time to describe it, but I think it's important right now in where we are in the life of our church. It's the ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to pray for extended periods of time on a regular basis on behalf of others and for others, and you see frequent and specific answers to your prayers. It's the ability to pray and not get discouraged until the answer comes. By the way, this just isn't praying. These are people who pray until something shows up. Okay, They have the ability to go for long hours. They can feel compelled to earnestly pray on behalf of someone or for a cause. They have a daily awareness that there's a spiritual battle going on there and it's being waged. And so they want to lift other people up in their prayers. Uh, They pray in response sometimes. The Spirit will lead them or prompt them to pray. And they have no idea what they're supposed to pray or how they're supposed to pray. But it's like God brought somebody to their mind and they just start praying for that person. They exercise authority and power for the protection of others. And if you have this gift of intercession, I'll bet I'm already on your list. I hope I am. And uh, if you have this gift, would you email me this week or call me collect? Okay. Because one of the things that I, I really feel like we need to increase is this prayer ministry here at Water's Edge. And I think that just some of the dynamic of our how you know how we do church set up and take down everything like that and we're all spread out stuff like that i think we've lost the dynamic of the power of the engine you know the the fuel for the engine of of what goes on and i want to really i i need help from those of you who have this gift to really get this thing burning i'm pretty sure i have this gift i may have this gift i don't think i have this one hey i'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time on healing. There's some, some authors would say there are sign gifts, healings, miracles, and tongues. These are signs. They're not, uh, they, they point to something greater. It was never healing for healing's sake, but always to show that there was something greater behind the healing and to lead people to faith in God or believe in Christ, belief in Christ in that respect. 
And uh, so um, I'm going to let you do a little study on that on your own, but I just want to make one, one comment about this. Some people think of healing as only physical healing, but there is emotional healing, there's relational healing, and there's spiritual healing. And some people have that ability, that compassion. They, 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 uh, they have that ability to communicate truth so that God is glorified beyond the healing that takes place. And I hope that you'll always remember that, that Jesus didn't heal everyone who was sick or suffering while he was on earth. And I think you need to realize that it's not, if you have this gift, it's not power that you have. It's God's power working through you. You are an intermediary. And, and, and by the way, this is my personal opinion on this, okay? Whenever I say that out, so I don't want you to start a new denomination off of what I'm about to say. But uh, I think somebody who has this, this gift maybe has, has the ability to trust God for a power beyond the disease. And they're a channel through whom God works. And although this gift is usually taught about in terms of curing illness without the use of natural means. I think that God works in partnership with modern medicine, with doctors and medical professionals to bring physical and emotional and mental healing. And in that way, they're an emissary to bringing what God wants to bring. He's the power behind the cure. Okay, so I'm sure I have this gift. I may have this gift. I don't think I have it. Miracles is the same thing. Jesus never did a miracle so that people say, wow, it was a miracle. It was always to point to something greater beyond him. And people with this gift tend to speak God's truth, you know, authenticating. Remember the paralytic who was let down through the room? And Jesus said, not only are your sins forgiven, but he says to show you that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. I say to you, take up your bed and walk. And so the miracle was to validate the words that Jesus was speaking. And when miracles are performed, they're always to show to something that's greater in that respect. Uh, in terms of the issue of tongues, I wish I had more time to develop this, but the gift of tongues is the ability to pray in a language or under, that's only understood by God or by somebody who has that ability to translate it. And in some respects, when you think about the early church, when they spoke in tongues, there were people from other countries, and they were speaking the language of, of the gospel in the language of those people who were there, and they didn't even know how to speak that language. And so I've heard stories and situations where people have been able to speak in a foreign language so that the person understood it, and some people have the ability to interpret something that's, that's done. There is some people in the Church of Jesus Christ today and some denominations who would say this gift died in the first century. And their, their logic for why this is not a valid gift for today is, well, why do we have Bible translators? All we have to do is get somebody with the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. They could go into a village and they could do that, you know, without having to study it and stuff like that. I, I don't, I, I don't believe that that's true. I think if you look at the Church of Jesus Christ worldwide, this is a gift that is none. But I will say this. This gift has caused more problems in the church. And Paul had to write an entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, as guidelines about how to use this gift and not to abuse it. He saw problems, and so he said, here's some guidelines that I think you should know. He said it's for personal edification. In 1 Corinthians 14.4, he says, Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who preaches edifies the whole church. And so, in a sense, this gift is different from every other gift. We said the purpose of every other gift was to what? Edify the church. And Paul says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. 
And the point here is since this gift is designated for personal edification, I think it should be used in your time alone with God. And one of the other things is we're supposed to focus on building others up and not ourselves. Paul says, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anybody know what you're saying? You will just be speaking in the air. Since you're eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And the other thing that it does is it confuses unbelievers who come into a church service. Notice what Paul says in verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers and unbelievers come in, will they not say you're out of your mind? It not only confuses unbelievers, it freaks out a lot of Christians as well who are unfamiliar with that gift. So that's why if somebody starts speaking in tongues in our service, I would just with absolute confidence say, hey, you're out of order. Ideally, this is not meant to be used in the worship service. 1 Corinthians 14.9, In the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. And he's saying here, hey, I'd rather just say five words that you understand than 10,000 that you don't. You know, So I could say, Jesus loves you. Praise the Lord. <laughs> or praise God. There's my five words. Okay, uh, So he says it's not meant to be used in a worship service because it doesn't help anyone other than the person who's speaking that tongue. Okay. Uh, final one I just want to look at today is uh, celibacy. The ability to remain single and enjoy it and not suffer undue sexual temptations for the sake of Christ. And if you think about it, sex is a subject that's frequently addressed in the Scriptures. And though the Bible handles this subject a little differently than our culture does, it does have a lot to say about it. And I think one of the reasons that sex is so frequently discussed in the Bible is that I think sexuality is closely related or has much to say about our spirituality. Presumably, you may not have the gift of celibacy and still not be married. And then there's this matter of widowhood. You know, you might not have the gift of celibacy, but you've had a wonderful life partner and your life partner has been taken away. And so the gift of celibacy should allow a man or woman to be effective in the use of whatever gift or gift mix God has given them. I wasn't married until I was 37 or 38. I was trying to think back that so long ago. But uh, I was like, I went to 27 countries of the world. I was every weekend speaking at a different Youth for Christ camp. I was doing leadership training for Youth for Christ and stuff like that. If I had been married, our marriage would have been a disaster at that time. Now, I knew I did not have the gift of celibacy. But I chose singleness for a time in my life because I wanted to devote more time to ministry. But I didn't have the gift of celibacy. Okay. And, uh, and if you're single and you know down in your heart that you'd get married in an instant if a reasonable opportunity presented itself, you probably don't have this gift. And if you're single and you find yourself terribly frustrated by unfulfilled sexual impulses, you probably don't have this gift. So I'm pretty sure I have this gift. I may have this gift. I don't think I have this one. Now, did you ever work with C. Peter Wagner? He was uh, at the Fuller uh, Institute. What was that? Um, the Church Growth Institute at Fuller Seminary. He wrote a book called Your Spiritual, church can, spiritual Gifts Can Help Your Church Grow. And C. Peter Wagner, in his book on this, he identifies several other gifts that uh, I haven't talked to you about today uh, voluntary poverty, music, craftsmanship, martyrdom, exorcism. Some people would say, nah. Some people would say yes. So, it's, so that's why I'm saying that nobody really agrees on all the gifts. Now, now we're going to land the plane. 
This, this insert that I gave you, because remember I said it's not only your spiritual gift, but it's your heart. And the heart represents the center of your motivation. And so I've kind of put a thing there for you to take a spiritual EKG. And to kind of, what you'll do, if you look at that first page, step one, listen to describe your accomplishments since childhood. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to say, hey, I'm looking back. If you open up the page now, this will include some of your accomplishments at home, school, work, things you enjoyed doing, things you believed you did well. Give specific details. I, I look back in, my, in junior high. I was valedictorian in my class, and, and so I had, I had to give the valedictorian speech. So I took the poem, Hiawatha, some of you know from the shores of Gitche I took the rhythm of that poem, and I wrote my whole graduation speech in a poetry type of way, from the halls of Valley Road School to the classrooms where we lingered, moved the graduating seniors, many friendly, able seniors. You know, I, I just kind of I put it in that thing, okay? And then I, did, I went through and I listed the different things, accomplishments and things that I'd done through the course of my life. Do you know what my central motivating factor was? Not only to do things well, but to do them in ways that other people didn't do them. To, to achieve distinction through a variety of, of things and not to do things in a common way. So you'll look and you'll find some threads that are there in your life. And uh, that, that might help you understand what your passions are. So then you discover what your motivational direction is. And then on this next page, I put some things I love to. You can look through. These are some suggestions. You say, oh, man, I really resonate with that one. And that might help you as you discover where your hearts and passion are. Then on the back page, your abilities. These are some of your vocational skills, natural talents that God has given to you. And uh, then the next thing is your personality. <laughs> Uh, look at this. How do you see yourself? Extroverted, introverted, thinker, feeler, routine, variety, self-controlled, self-expressive, cooperative, competitive. So you kind of say, hey, hey, what's my personality like? And then your experiences. And obviously you have to do it, use another piece of paper for this. But, you know, what are my spiritual experiences, my painful experiences, educational experiences, and, and those kinds of things. So now back to your main study notes for a real quick second. Because I just want to show you a biblical example how shape plays out. Real quick, Apostle Paul. Did he have some spiritual gifts? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says he was a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And by the way, we defined apostle here as the gift of starting new churches, the ability to start new churches. Okay, so he had some spiritual gifts. What was his heart? He writes it out in several verses. My constant ambition has been to preach the gospel where the name of Christ was previously unknown and to avoid building on another man's foundation. For God, who is at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle of the Gentiles. So first of all, he says, I want to build from scratch. I don't want to go into areas where they already have churches. I want to go where there's no churches at all. And the second thing he says, I want to go to the unchurched Gentiles. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go to the Jews who already know about God. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And he actually says, life is not worthy and worth living unless I use it doing the work that was assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. So, would you say that he had a passion? <laughs> okay. Did he have some abilities? Yes, he did. Acts 18. Paul went to see them, meaning uh, and, uh, 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 Priscilla and Aquila. Paul went to see them and he stayed and worked with them because he earned his living by making tents. And that's probably why Paul's letters are written so intently. And... Uh, so, and then it says he debated in the synagogues every Sabbath, trying to convince both Jews and Greeks. So this verse tells us that he had two abilities. He could work with his hands, he made tents, and he had this incredible ability to debate. He had a quick, brilliant mind. He was a, a genius. Think fast on his feet. Okay. Then did he have a personality? 
Here's what it was. Galatians 1, 13, 14. For you have heard of my past. I persecuted the church with fanatical zeal. I did my best to destroy it. I was ahead of most of my contemporaries, a little arrogant and competitive. And then in the Jewish religion, I had a boundless enthusiasm. Now, let me just ask you. Jealous person, zealous person, some thought he was fanatical, ahead of his time, top of the class. He did his best, boundless enthusiasm. Would you say he was an introvert or an extrovert? <laughs> you know, he's off the chart, extrovert. Paul, did he have any experiences? Let's look at these, his spiritual experiences. And uh, there were a number that he tells us about. First of all, he watched Stephen being stoned. And that profoundly had an exper- a spiritual impact on his life. His conversion on the road to Damascus, he spent three years in isolation in Arabia, just kind of learning what he needed to learn. He had a special vision that he received from God. And these are spiritual experiences that shaped his life. How about painful experiences? I just want to read to you four verses, and you tell me if you had some painful experiences. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, 23. I've been in prison more times near death more often. I've been whipped five times with 39 lashes by the Jews, three times by the Romans. Once I was stoned. And by the way, in those days, they got stoned differently than people get stoned today. He said, I've been in three shipwrecks and once spent 24 hours in the water. In my travels, I've been in danger from floods, robbers, enemies, wild animals, and false friends. I've served long hours without sleep or food or shelter or even clothing. So do you think he had some painful experiences? He did, and they shaped his life. And not only did he have painful experiences, he had some externally, he had some internal ones. In 2 Corinthians, he says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these great revelations, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Now, we have no idea what it was. And by the way, I think it's a good thing that God didn't tell us what his thorn was. Because then what we would do is we'd say, oh, well, that's not my problem. I don't have that thorn. Hey, we all have thorns. He says, but I think... Some people say it was eyesight. Some people say it epilepsy. Some people say he was depressed. Uh, there's lots of theories. But the fact is there was something that he felt was a handicap that kept him from serving God as fully as he wanted to. And he said it was a thing that at first he thought was bad. But then he said, I realized it was a good thing. He said it kept me from being puffed up with pride. Now, did Paul have some educational experiences? Acts 22, 3. I received my training at the feet of Gamaliel. I was schooled in the strictest observant of our father's law. By the way, Gamaliel was considered one of the greatest Jewish teachers of that day. It would be like me being personally trained, you know, by Nate. And, uh, you know. And then did he have any ministry experiences? We'll read the book of Acts. It tells us all about his ministry experiences. So you see how these things shaped his life? They're very clear. And so as you go through this material on your own, I hope you'll have some fun with it. Remember, this is an evaluation. It's not a test. There's no right or wrong answers. And each one is a self-evaluating thing. Nobody's going to rate you and nobody's going to judge you. However, it might be helpful to ask other people and say, hey, as you know me, what do you think I might be good at or what do you think might be my gift? And have other people give some some words into it that know you really well. Now, the value of these tools will will de- depend on your age. How long you've been a Christian, what your background is, how honest you are in evaluating yourself, and how much time you're willing to give to serious thinking and and invest in this. So, we're done. But I hope you'll spend some time thinking through this material, block out some time, and work through this. And, uh, oh, if you're really serious about this, P.S., I'd like you to schedule an appointment through our office, either to meet with me or one of our elders, and and just to 
talk through your, your profile, your shape profile, and to share what you think your gift is, where your heart is, where your past abilities and things like that, and what your experience has been. Two things will do. First of all, we'd like to get to know you better. But second of all, it will help us to help you maybe to, to find where your niche and where you could serve in ministry here in the church. And when you understand the purpose that you were created for, I think you'll understand what God intended for you to do. God wouldn't give you these inborn talents and temperaments and spiritual gifts and all kinds of experiences if he didn't intend for you to use them. And I think that by reviewing and studying these things, you're going to discover how God has made you and the unique way that he intends for you to serve as well. And the results of it is that, number one, you'll be fulfilled. But number two, you'll see fruitfulness in your ministry as well. Well, that's enough for today. Let's pray together. Hey, would you stand with me? One of the things that uh, we're starting to do here is... uh, some people, those of you who come to the 945 service, you miss that opening song. So uh, when I get done praying and give the, give the benediction, uh, you're free to go. But I've asked the worship team to sing the first song that they sang that you might have missed. And it's not necessarily a sing-along. Maybe you just want to sit there for a second and let it wash over you. But otherwise, there's coffee and donuts in the hall. and just So don't feel like you have to stay. If you want to, you can, but, but when I say amen, we're done, okay? Let's pray. Father, I pray for your, our, your protection over our church family. Would you help us as a congregation to draw nearer to you and to seek your active presence in our lives? And I pray that we as a church family would remain faithful stewards of all that you've provided us with in terms of the gifts you've given us, the abilities, the finances that you've given us, so that we'll ne- it'll never keep us from doing all that you desire to do in and through us as a congregation. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that this week they won't be consumed by negative thinking, by stress, by anxious feelings, by impatience, by the tyranny of the urgent, by overcommitment, by busyness, by fatigue, by compromise or pressure, or by any discouragement. As we approach Thanksgiving season, give all of us grateful hearts and hands and words. And may our church family commit to pray for our church, for our church leaders, for our community, for our nation, for our world, and also for what our involvement in ministry might be. And may each of us continue to take hold of a growing, consistent walk with Christ. And may each of these folks exhibit Christ-like character in their integrity with all their relationships, in all the decisions they have to make, in all their dealings this week. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and give you His peace. Today and then tomorrow. And then forever when you receive your reward for how you've used what he's given you. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.